You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, and you are now listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Eugene today, as I had a Homes for Good uh, housing authority meeting, and uh, those run kind of right up to 3.30, so there's not a lot of time to, to drive back to beautiful downtown Elmira and do the show from uh, the comfortable confines of my office in my domicile. So I'm doing it from my office in downtown Eugene. And, uh, you know, raring to go today because it's been a few weeks. All sorts of things happened while I was in Germany. Might talk a little bit about Germany on the show today. Uh, But I still am posing that question that I want folks to call in or comment on my Facebook posts. What do you want? Lane County to concentrate on what issues are important to you as we move forward in the next several years that we should put into our strategic plan because the board is going on a retreat in a couple weeks and we're going to develop a new strategic plan and uh, I want to hear from you what's important to you is it crime or climate change or you know is it to build a homeless shelter or is it to work on economic development and jobs you know I want to hear from you about what's important to you so I can make sure our priorities are your priorities. Um, Otherwise, you're going to get five elected officials' priorities, which may not reflect what the public wants. Never know. Um, So, you know, I I said I've been away for a couple weeks, and it always amazes me. The last couple times I've left town, something's happened. Yeah. Last time I left town to go to Washington, D.C. to do some lobbying, snowmageddon, you know, and all hell breaks loose. This time I leave, and next thing I know, I'm getting emails about Mount Pisgah being on fire. So the folks here and the county administration have said I'm no longer allowed to leave town. So you guys are going to be hearing from me a lot more in the future. (laughs) So... Uh, yeah, uh, well. Uh. <laughs> and I'm going to break in here for just a second, Jay. Sure. Um, if folks watching live right now, our broadcast software, Pros, we are broadcasting audio on both Blog Talk Radio and Facebook. But at the moment, all you're going to see is just the back of a cell phone, and which I'm not going to make. <laughs> I was going to say it's going to be an improvement. No. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a saying in the IT world since I'm an IT administrator and Jay was telling me I think other people can relate to this I hate updates thank you that was a public service announcement from KRBN yeah 
Well, I think Robin wants to give the What Were They Thinking Award to the folks at Microsoft who pushed out another update to Windows 10, which seems to have completely destroyed our ability to broadcast live video uh, through Skype and into, into uh, Facebook. Um, we, we tried testing several days uh, ago and trying to fix the, the problems and, and tried it for a while before the show today. And Robin's doing her best on her end trying to fix it. But I don't know what they did. Um, but we, we're having, you know, troubles with video today. So we're back to the, the pre-Facebook video where we're doing just audio over the Internet for folks. And uh, you're just going to have to deal with the uh, deal with the fact that you just get to listen to me today and not actually see my smiling face and the original Bose nose on, on, on your computer screen. Um, which, which is really too bad because, you know, what you got going on in the background is really hilarious. You know, people are missing out on all this activity and everything. Yeah. Oh, well, you'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. The excitement in the background of my office here. Uh, but the the landlord white walls and the uh, acoustic ceilings with the fluorescent lights, yeah, <laughs> it's thrilling. Um, yeah, not exactly the luxury suite. Um, but so you know, was away for a couple of weeks, missed a couple of post news shows, so there's probably a lot to catch up on. You know, I can talk a little bit about what happened at the board meeting last week while I was away. It seems like. Everything that had to deal with my district happened last week. It's like they, I told them I was going away, so they scheduled everything for that board meeting. Like we, we talked about you know, Territorial Highway and approving the, the preliminary um, design for the, the, the fix um, down there in the Lorraine area. Get, you know, anyone that's driven to King Estates Winery knows about that nasty section, twisty, bumpy, uh, dangerous piece of roadway that we're going to try and fix. Um, that's my, in my district, but you know, they, they put that on the agenda last week while I was gone. Um, we also talked about um, the public safety coordinating council budget last week um, while I was gone, which I chair the public safety coordinating council budget committee. So <laughs> it just seems like everything that dealt with Jay got talked about, including the uh, Benita, um, urban renewal um, uh, amend, plan amendments uh, that came before the board also. Um, just, you know, one thing after another, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's always um, tough to even be away for a week as a commissioner um, and miss a meeting. But, uh, you know, fortunately, I got to look at all that stuff in advance and kind of let staff know I was supportive of everything. Of course, the PSCC budget I actually helped develop, so obviously I was in support of that. Um, but it kind of leads to, you know, back to the, we've talked about this before, uh, towards the end of the legislative session and after the legislative session, we had to basically cut, you know, a couple million dollars out of our budget. We had to eliminate some positions and hold, well, hold some positions open in our parole and probation department. We had to cut uh, beds available for uh, sanctioning offend, you know, offenders on parole um, in our jail. And we had to cut back on some of the sponsors stuff. And we had to, and probably one of the biggest cuts we made um, is we had to eliminate some funding to uh, Willamette um, 
family treatment services for the Buckley um, Sobering Center and their detox facility, um, which is, you know, is kind of a, a little bit of a shock to them, but it, it, it was just one of the things where it was the hard, one of the hardest things for us to prove um, to the state we were using that the people coming through there were actually on parole. Um, because it was really difficult for the folks at Willamette family to track that. We're going to try and improve that system, maybe and work work better, but we we couldn't justify the level of funding we were putting into into it. Um, as you know, we were funding a major percentage of their cost, and we could only track that a very small portion of their clients were actually on parole. Um, so that's sort of why they got such a big cut, but. You know, it all comes back to the legislature completely ignored a study on what parole probation costs in this state, a study that's required to be done every six years by their their own legislation, and they completely ignored it and funded um, basically last year, last biennium's funding level, they kept it the same for this biennium, which basically means everybody had to make cuts because everything's inflating and also they didn't track the real cost of the system. So it just, it snowballs on itself. And what's really sad is we, we are a great success story here in Lane County. We've managed to reduce our prison usage here through some of the programs we're funding with those monies. So we've actually reduced, um, reduce the amount of people that reoffend that have been in prison, which is called recidivism. Our recidivism rate has actually dropped in Lane County. Our total prison months used for certain crimes has dropped from Lane County. So we're actually helping the state save a lot of money in not holding prisoners in the prison system. And then they turn around and cut the funding stream that's helping us save them money. You know, it's kind of, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face. And in fact, you know, we weren't hurt quite as bad as Multnomah County. They had to make somewhere in the range of about $5 million worth of cuts in Multnomah County because of the size of their system. And that's starting to get some people's attention because, you know, when you gore Lane County, you know, or Douglas County's ox, no one notices. But man, when you gore Multnomah County and Portland's ox, the legislature starts to notice. So there's talk about, um, you know, some kind of fix coming up in the short session on on the budgets for um, the Community Corrections Act funding, which is what funds parole and probation and all those various programs that support the parole and probation system, like transitional housing for those coming out of prison and um, sanction beds in the, in the jail, uh, sobering and detox and drug treatment, all those things that, that funding supports um, it is really important to helping people get better, you know, so they don't reoffend, so they don't go back onto the drugs and start doing the petty crime. So they kind of learn how to make better decisions, which we call cognitive behavioral therapy that we put them through. Um, kind of, you know, changing the way people think and make decisions so they're not, you know, falling back on the stupid things, you know. 
Um, you know, so it, it just, it's really helpful. It's been really important in saving the state a lot of money and in making people's lives better. You know, these folks that we're, we're keeping out of jail, they're becoming productive citizens in Lane County. In fact, you know, there's some great success stories. You know, we brought some of those success stories up to the legislature to testify in favor of funding some of these programs because we wanted them to hear from some of the people we've helped. And, and I sat there and listened because I was also giving testimony on behalf of the Association of Oregon Counties in support of the budgets. And um, these stories are just incredible. You know, these these people that were on drugs, addicted, you know, got sent to prison for, you know, whatever offenses they committed while they were high and trying to support their drug habits. And they come out and they get help from, you know, a group like sponsors and they go through, um, you know, drug treatment with emergence that we pay for with this funding. And they get, you know, the, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy support from our parole and probation people. They turn their lives around and you hear that now they're, um, you know, they're back with their, uh, and their wife and they've gotten back, you know, where they, they're allowed to have, you know, joint custody with their, their, the kids again, you know, when they had lost all their custody, um, they got a job, they've got, they're living and paying rent. And, you know, these stories are just pretty amazing how these people rebuild their lives. Um, and, and that's what these funds help people do. You know, when we keep them out of prison, and get them successfully through their parole and, and or their probation periods and, and make them successful citizens, you know, it, it's an amazing thing. Saves so much money downstream rather than letting people, you know, come back out of jail and get back with the same, you know, party crowd they were in beforehand, um, end up, you know, losing whatever, you know, housing they had, you know, end up on the street, doing drugs, committing theft, get picked up, sent back to jail, being, ha- you know, that's one of the most expensive ways to house people, let alone how much they're costing us when they're homeless and on the street. You know, it, it's been in the news now that the state's expanding their anti-camping ordinances along the Willamette River and the Columbia River in the Portland area that they did here in Eugene because um, it's costing, you know, a, a lot environmentally, with the homeless camping along those rivers, but it's also costing a lot to clean that up by the cities and the park systems and the state and everybody else's, you know, and which means the public's bearing the cost of those cleanups, you know, cause you're dealing with biohazards in the, in the uh, needles that are tossed aside and the, um, you know, the other stuff that gets left when there's a camp that has no um, toilet facilities. Uh, you know, it's expensive to clean those places up. So a uh, whole lot better to, you know, fund the programs that when, as these folks come out of jail, they get, they get the interim housing with the mentorship and treatment and therapy that will help them be successful and the job training and whatever else it takes, you know, to get them successful because, sure a whole lot cheaper than when they're not successful 
half the time end up homeless. I mean, there's a high percentage of our homeless population that has served jail time, and it's, it's after they come out, they become homeless quite often. Um, it just prevents a whole lot of costs. But I don't, you know, trying to pound that into the legislature's head and the governor's head, this, this particular part of the state budget, which we think about the total state budget, you know, we were asking for $319 million in funding, and they only gave us $269 million. In the previous biennium, it was 259 basically. So it's barely an uptick from the previous biennium. Um, $319 million over 36 counties is not a lot of money. And when you look at the overall state budget, the billions being spent, you know, it's still a small piece. And it seems so short-sighted to underfund something that can actually save cities, counties, and the state a lot of money by helping folks become successful. So, Jay's soapbox for the day, community corrections funding. The state legislature should fully fund the time study they, they did, a once-every-six-year study of what the system really costs and they obviously haven't been keeping up with it because if they were to fund what the study said, should have been the $319 million. So um, just one of those things that happens. But last week, we approved the budget for the um, Community Corrections Act and Justice Reinvestment Grant programs, which are under the Public Safety uh, Coordinating Council uh, that I uh, I'm vice chair of, and as vice chair, I'm the chair of the budget committee. Um, it's you know, just one of those things where it was sad that I go through that budget process and have to make those cuts when there was so much hope that we'd actually have additional funds this year with a time study to actually improve some of our programs. Um, as it is, our parole and probation officers have one of the highest caseloads per officer in the state. and that caseload percentage that are high-risk offenders is well beyond any county in the state. So our, our parole officers in Lane County not only are handling larger numbers of cases, but they're mostly high-risk offenders. So really pretty stressful on our, our POs, and our POs do a fantastic job despite that issue where they've been able to reduce that recidivism rate and to reduce our prison usage overall. Of course, that reduction in prison usage has a lot to do with a cooperative um, work with our district attorney, our, our uh, judges in our district court here in Lane County, um, and a whole lot of other things that work, work together in that system. But, you know, we've got a really good public safety system here in Lane County. It's doing some good work despite how little funding we have in that system, which is kind of an interesting thing because I, I posed a question on Facebook this weekend when I got back um, because I've been kind of thinking of this idea in the back of my head because at, you know, as the uh, jail levy failed last May, one of the things I kept hearing from people was not jail levy, sorry, the court bonds uh, to rebuild the court system, when that failed last May, one of the things I heard from people was, we want you to fix the patrol 
the sheriff's patrol first before we fix the, the courthouse. That's more important to us. So I put a question out on Facebook and said, would you be willing to pay 25 cents per thousand of assessed value, which is about 50 bucks a year on a, on a house taxable assessed value of, of 200,000. And most people go, well, houses don't cost 200,000. That's the assessed value, which is always a lot lower than the, the real market value of, of a house. Um, so 200,000 is really the average assessed value in Lane County. The actual market value of houses are a lot higher. But because measure um, 547 and 50 capped how fast assessed values can grow, they grow a lot slower than real market value. So there's a big difference between the two. So I know people, the first thing they go is, ah, oh, you can't buy a house for 200,000 Lane County. I'm not saying you can. That's the assessed value. But I asked that question whether people would be willing to pay 50 bucks a year to significantly improve the police services division in Lane County and get, you know, it would basically make us able to almost triple our patrol strength in Lane County. So from our anemic three officers on duty at any one time and a sergeant to, you know, basically, you know, nine or 10 officers on duty and several sergeants, a um, lot more coverage around the county. Uh, and an ability to maybe follow up on property crime, do investigations. You know, we could maybe add some more detectives with that. We'd probably have to add some staff in the DA's office to handle the extra workload. Um, but, you know, I asked that question, and I was, it was interesting to see there was several, you know, the, the knee-jerk, you know, heck no, you guys have to live within your budget. You know, there's probably some other thing you can cut, you know, or you won't use the money the way you said you would. Um, and after I even explained to people we do like we did with the jail levy and put the money separate, make sure it's spent only as we promised it would be spent, and audit that every year and publicize the audits so everybody would know we're spending it the way it was. Um, you know, there's still a, a certain number of people that just they just don't want any taxes to be increased. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I, I was kind of testing the the everyone that kept telling me fix patrol first. Were they willing to step up and say, okay, well, you know, I asked, I said 25 cents per thousand. That's two cents less per thousand than what court bond was. So it's actually less than what I, we were asking for the court bond. And I'd say it was about maybe, you know, over a little over 50% of people said no. You know, and I put that up on a couple different web pages. Um, including, you know, this, you know, the page for KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, put it up on my Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner page, but I also put it up on Eugene Lane County and a few others um, just to try and get some feedback. So that leads me back to that original question, which I'd still want to know, and I'd be happy for anyone to call in at 646-721-9887. Just press one so Robin knows you want to get on the conversation. And uh, let me know what you think are the big issues facing Lane County and what we should be working on in the next two to three years as we are getting ready to update and revise our strategic plan. You know, is it a housing issue? Is it crime? Is it homelessness? 
what do you want Lane County to be working on? You know, you want us to be working on, you know, rural health care and getting, you know, more health care out in rural areas. You know, of course, I, please stick to things the county has control over. We don't do anything with education. So, you know, I, if education is your number one issue or something like that, that, that's great. But unfortunately, the county commissioners have little to no influence on schools and school funding, what goes on in schools. It, that's uh, your local school board and your state legislators that you want to talk to about education. Cities and counties have no role in that, really. Um, but we do have a role in you know, your road system. We do have a role in your solid waste disposal system. We do have a role in public health. We do have a role in, um, you know, sheriff's office, the jail, prosecution, and the DA. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of public safety we have a role in. So, you know, we we also you know have a role in housing, and particularly in housing, you know, we, the board of commissioners also sits as part of the board for Homes for Good, which is HUD's. Lane County Housing Authority, and we just got out of the, the the board, the monthly board meeting for that. That only meets once a month, and it was interesting because we're looking at the budget for next fiscal year. And what's interesting, yeah, because it's the HUD Housing Authority. Their budget runs from October one through September thirtieth. You know, just like the federal government, so it's a different budget cycle than our regular budget cycle, but. Some of the numbers that, that came up, and I did, I went and did some napkin work on these, was um, between our Section 8 um, voucher system and our public housing, you know, the actual developments that we run, that people live in, um, we actually supplied over 44,000 um, unit month leases out there um, and if you divide that by 12 it comes out to about 36 100 a little bit almost almost 3700 unit years leased and if you think about Lane County's population somewhere around 370,000 or so uh, and you you think about uh, two and a half people per housing unit in, in there you know because these are not just singles it's families um, it's about two and a half percent of Lane County's population that Homes for Good is helping supply housing through either Section 8 vouchers or directly in public housing units. And they do that, if you take that, that you know, 3,600 to 3,700 housing units and divide it into the cost of those programs, they do that for about $6,400 a year or about $534 a month per unit. So that, that, that's fairly reasonable rent <laughs> when you think about it. So it, it just, it was kind of interesting to kind of, you know, to do some reverse Polish mathematics there and work backwards and try and figure out, you know, is it efficient? Because, you know, you always worry, you know, are we spending um, 
$10,000 a month to house somebody because it's a government program when we could, it would be quicker just to pay the private sector. At least is staying um, below market rate uh, cost to get people in into housing. So uh, just a reminder on the Bose Nose Show here, we are having a um, little bit of uh, technical difficulties. Our video is frozen, and you won't be seeing live video on Facebook Live today. You'll be hearing audio. Uh, and uh, it's all because Microsoft decided to push out another update of, of Windows 10 without, you know, really checking to make sure everything works with everything. Um, and that's why we're having some problems. And uh, Robin's going to try and fix that for next week. But right now, you're just staring at the back of a cell phone if you're watching Facebook Live. And we apologize for that. But we'll also remind you that you can still talk live with me and ask any question you want and talk about any subject you want, because that's what we like to do on the Bose Nose Show, just by calling 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. So, uh, Bozovich? Yes? <laughs> Uh, since you leaving the area has destroyed everything, how was Germany? Uh, Germany was pretty cool. And, you know, it's the history there is so old and so um, important. Even the recent history is so important that it just, it, it leaves you awestruck at times. I got to stand in the same place where Ronald Reagan told Mr. Gorbachev to tear down this wall at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, which is also very close to where JFK gave his speech back in 1961 or 62, I can't remember what year it was, um, where he basically promised the folks of Berlin that the West would not forget them and, and proceeded to do the Berlin airlift when the when the Russians closed the rail and roadway connection between West Germany and West Berlin. I actually drove on that highway that was, was the one connection you know, where they didn't let you exit the road between West Germany and West Berlin and uh, got to see pieces of the Berlin Wall preserved. Uh, you know, so it's kind of chilling just that, that recent piece of history. I mean, that was 1989, you know, when the Berlin Wall fell. And then at the same time, there was a piece of a church that they left untouched. Um, basically, the, most of the church tower with the top knocked off and uh, some of the pieces of the wall um, that was there from the bombings in World War II. And, and it basically was there as a memorial um, to the lives lost in World War II and the Allied bombings. A similar uh, church was like that in Hamburg. So I was in both Berlin and Hamburg. Yeah, and that, you know, that's kind of like more recent history. And then I stepped back and went in, in um, Potsdam to Sans Souci, which translates in French to no worries. 
um, which was the summer palace of um, William II, um, who was, you know, also, a, William, was it William? Frederick, sorry, Frederick II, William Frederick II, um, who was also known as Frederick the Great, um, who consolidated um, most of um, modern, you know, what became known as modern Germany, um, right about the time of, of, of our uh, revolution here in, in uh, the U.S., you know, in, in the late 1700s. Um, but it was a pretty amazing set of grounds uh, and, you know, all this uh, Rococo and, and um, Baroque ornamentation, and he was really into um, the arts and um, literature and having these heavy philosophical discussions to where he actually hosted Voltaire for three years at Sans Souci. Um, to, as a, so he could have him as a dinner uh, at his dinner table and was famous for having these dinners that were, got into very heavy conversations about all topics. Um, while at the same time, he was, you know, more known for some of his military campaigns and his successes militarily. Um, so really interesting character in history. Um, but then after going to Sans Souci and Potsdam, we moved to Lübeck, which was part of the Hanseatic League of independent port cities in northern Germany, dating back to 900. And seeing buildings in Lübeck that were, you know, had the dates on them of 1275. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of really puts into perspective, you know, yeah, history and changes. And, you know, there's a huge um, church built in Lübeck that was built by um, Henry the Lion, I believe it was, in the, about 1200, who was uh, kind of brought um, some of the Reformation forward in, into northern Germany and all. Um, so it was really um, just some fascinating history and all that. But one of the interesting things, though, was I, I, it outstand, It was mind-boggling to me because the Germans are kind of known for being, you know, very neat, and they keep, you know, you didn't see litter along their highways and all that. The amount of graffiti in the cities was just, you know, just overwhelming. Everywhere there was graffiti. You know, and, and it was just, I thought maybe I'd just seen it from the elevated train or something like that. And that was because the, the neighborhood maybe up against the train was not a nice neighborhood. No, it was all over the city because we walked all over Berlin. We walked all over Hamburg. Um, the only city we did not really see a lot of graffiti in was Lubeck, but that was because we're in the very old town portion of Lubeck. And I think people are a little bit more respectful of those buildings from the middle ages. <laughs> um, but it, it, it was surprising to me, the amount of graffiti that I saw there. Um, I did not see a lot of homeless people, though. So I don't know what they're doing differently in Germany than they're doing here. Saw a few. I did see a few, um, you know, folks that were obviously, um, you know, fairly high and, and panhandling and, uh, 
a lot of street performers maybe, but they didn't seem to be, yeah, I didn't see the extensive amount of urban um, outdoorsmen that you would see uh, in Eugene or Portland or San Francisco or Seattle. Um, so Germany was fascinating. Had a great time at my uh, former exchange students' uh, wedding celebration. Uh, his wife is is really nice, and he's you know Germans do things a little bit differently. Um, his baby uh, <laughs> is really cute. Uh, <laughs> takes having a baby to get married, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it just it was kind of great to see him and and to see his family again. And to meet his sisters, which he talked about the whole time he was living with us here in the U.S., um, share, you know, remembering some of the stories of when, you know, he first got here and I took him to Crater Lake um, to go camping. Um, it was pretty funny because um, Jens has become a, uh, he's getting his doctorate in engineering right now, uh, material science and engineering. Uh, and, you know, Kind of like me, one of these logical engineer brains. One of the reasons he chose Oregon was he thought it was a safe state uh, when he came for his exchange program because he didn't want to go to California because he'd heard about the earthquakes in California. He didn't want to go to Florida or the Gulf Coast because of the hurricanes. You know, he didn't want to go to the Midwest because of the tornadoes that he'd seen on the news and stuff like that and heard about. So he decided Oregon was safe, you know, because he hadn't heard, you know, seen or heard any news about it so the first thing i do after shortly after he comes here is we take him camping and as we're driving up to crater lake you can see in the distance this huge plume of smoke because there was a forest fire over near diamond lake at that time you know this was 15 years ago so and he's asking me what the smoke is now oh that's just a forest fire <laughs> we get to the campground the first thing he sees are these great big metal boxes at crater lake campground that, are, that have instructions that this is where you put your food because of the bears. <laughs> and then we explained to him that Crater Lake is there because it was an ancient volcano that exploded. <laughs> and he's like, I thought Oregon was safe. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <yeah>, so <laughs> perspectives of Oregon from, from, from Europe, we were the safe state to come to for a 17-year-old teenager. <laughs> Little did he know. And then he was really worried because they come to a language camp, these students, before they go to their host parents for the year. And at language camp, he had done a load of laundry and he had washed a candy bar in the pocket of his shorts. So he was really concerned about having his shorts in, in his tent. So we put him in the car for the night um, because he was worried the bears might be attracted to it. So from then on, his nickname the rest of the year was Sweet Britches. But uh, <laughs> uh, yes, it's fun to host exchange students. Um, I highly recommend it if you have uh, the ability to do it and try it sometime. You get these kids, you know, usually in their senior year of high school, they're usually pretty good students. Um, and you don't have any of the baggage. They're 17. You're cool. You're their host parents. You're taking them all these new experiences in America, and you don't have all the baggage mom and dad do. <laughs> it's pretty fun. So um, 
yeah, highly recommend being a host parent because then ultimately, maybe 15 years later, you'll get invited back to where they come from and have a English-speaking tour guide to take you around to show you the sites a little bit differently than you might have seen if you just went there on a tour or something. So it was a, it was pretty fun. You know, his dad um, is an urban planner there in in Germany, so we got to talk a little bit about zoning and planning and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, turns out his Jens's sister took after her dad and got a degree in urban planning also. So we were having some major discussions about that um, while we were there. Uh, she did um, her exchange here in Indiana. <laughs> so it was quite a difference in experience between Jens and, and, and uh, his sister. But uh, Germany was really good. And, uh, you know, I would highly recommend folks, you know, go visit there. Um, it's interesting. Um, you know, it's in interesting. Um, they have some issues not too dissimilar from the U.S. Um, Turkey is kind of Europe's um, Mexico, and it's been a longtime uh, source of, of low-cost labor for Europe. So there's a significant Tur Turkish uh, minority in most of the cities. So there's some great Turkish restaurants. <laughs> Ate some great Turkish food there in Germany. Um, but, you know, that leads to some frictions. And, you know, there's the same issues around immigration and the more recent uh, influx caused by the war in, in Syria and some of the problems in Africa and um, Libya and and, you know, the Arab Spring that, that caused an influx of um, uh, uh, Muslim uh, immigrants into Europe, you know, they have some of the same, you know, frictions going around immigration um, and uh, that whole issue. Uh, it's just a little bit different source of where that, you know, instead of Latin America, it's the Middle East and Northern Africa is where folks are coming in from. So it was, it was interesting to be there. Uh, kind of interesting, just of note, gas was about $1.28 per liter, which works out $5 a gallon. So if you're going to Europe, you know, make sure you, you pack your wallet if you're going to be driving around. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why you see those tiny little cars in Europe. <laughs> They've artificially jacked up the price with taxes. Um, there's a value-added tax on everything. So um, you, you see that back um, as you buy, purchase stuff. So it, it's not not the cheapest place to go in the world. So just just beware of some of that. Um, but it was, it was interesting. Happy to be back in the U.S., though. You know, it's very, really interesting um, uh, as you get on Wi-Fi there, you have to sign an agreement about all sorts of things that you can't do on the Internet. That you, you know, by law, they have much stricter, um, they, they restrict speech a lot more in Europe than they do in the U.S. So... I prefer freedom. <laughs> There's downsides to freedom, but I prefer freedom. You know, 
yes, somebody might say a bad word on the internet. <gasps> you know, they might trigger me. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I prefer the freedoms here in the U.S. You know, uh, liberty is important because you know, as you give governments more and more power, um, then you give them the ability to really control your life. And I, and I could see a lot of that in in the uh, society there. Just uh, everything from housing to transportation and all that is so steered by the government um, uh, that that it, it's kind of I don't even think people realize they're being steered down to the amount of windmills that were spinning out in the fields and stuff like that. Um, you know obviously subsidized by the government because they don't pencil out any other way. So, so we have about 15 minutes left on the Bo's Nose show. If you don't want to talk about Germany, but you want to talk about something else, or if you want to let me know what you think the board of commissioners should be working on over the next two to three years and what you think is important in Lane County, give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one so we know you want to get on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. So that Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation here on the Post Nose Show. And don't forget, you can also email us at any time at talk at krbnradio.net. And you can also just comment on Facebook, on our Facebook page, which is KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. Or you can find me on my Facebook page, which is Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. I also have a personal page if you want to try and friend me there. Uh, you know, I'm the only Jay Bozovich on Facebook, I think. So really easy to find, get a hold of um, in multiple multiple ways. You, know, you can PM me through Facebook. Um, but I do this show mostly because I want to hear from people and not necessarily always talk. So you have a, a conversation you want to talk about or an idea you want us to work on in our strategic plan. Again, it's 646-721-9887. If not, we're going to talk about whatever comes to Jay's mind, which might be some of what was on the board's agenda yesterday, um, just so you can know what's going on. We had a discussion yesterday about the board retreat, which is one of the reasons why I keep bringing that up and uh, updating our strategic plan. And uh, I, I kind of said, you know, my goal out of that was to come up with a uh, agreed upon set of priorities so that we wouldn't chase squirrels. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, my, one of my examples of kind of where the board chased squirrels this year was the fact that we got involved in the whole burst center closure when we had absolutely no role or ability to make change in that. I don't know how many hours we spent on that, and we're probably going to continue to maybe spend some time on it. But it's, you know, something we weren't – it wasn't a decision in the county – it's something we don't regulate, we don't have authority over, and it's something that's beyond our expertise to provide. We're not going to open a birth center. You know, uh, we just don't have the capacity for it. So we spent hours and hours on that, involved a lot of staff, um, 
and it seems like our um, board chair and vice chair might have made some better decisions around the use of board time and staff time. They had kind of stuck with, you know, what our strategic plan priorities are. Um, so that's kind of where I'm hoping for is we get an agreed upon set of priorities. If they change, you know, if they decide they want to make climate change one of their priorities, at least that doesn't mean something like the birth center will jump in and, and occupy a lot of time. Um, hopefully we, you know, at least we can, you know, Lane County has been successful because we have managed to a strategic plan. It's what's kept us efficient in the use of our resources and helped us to, you know, one of our strategic plan goals has been about controlling our finances, having a structurally balanced budget. That's what's led to us getting two upgrades from Moody's on our bond rating and having the highest bond rating ever that Lane County's ever had. So that's how strategic plans should work. And the last eight months, we've kind of just kind of wandered off the strategic plan and started just reacting to whatever, whatever whoever comes in for public comment, which just, uh, that's kind of chasing squirrels. Someone screamed squirrel and we ran in that direction. <laughs> you know, not a good way to run, run, run an organization. Which kind of gets down to, we talked a little bit about performance auditors and uh, recruitment for the performance auditor. And that kind of got, um, you know, folks might not be aware, our current performance auditor turned in his notice and he's going to be leaving here in a couple weeks. Um, it'll be our second performance auditor we've had since we tried to bring the position back um, about four or five years ago, maybe six years ago. We brought it back um, back then. It was to try and help with our transparency because there was a real goal of the board was to try and become as, much, as open and transparent as possible for the public. And having an independent auditor that was separate from the county administrator that reported directly to the board was one of the ideas of trying to help with that transparency. But I think what we discovered was it's probably better, and this is it was supported by a couple other commissioners. I spoke first and brought this up. That maybe what we should do is, you know, we have an audit committee set up now that's uh, you know some citizens that have experience in auditing um, that make up our audit committee and steer our audit plan. To maybe have them help us decide on what's going to be audited next. And then we do RFPs and bring in subject matter expert auditors um, to look at that subject because we've been real successful internally. Now, these weren't independent of the county administrator, but we've done performance auditing internally anyway. Um, we did an audit of our IT systems and our IT department, and that's helped us start reorganizing our entire IT part department, and it's saving us budget money. Because, you know, want to be more efficient there is, is saving us money. We did a similar thing in our fleet services, and we did a similar thing with facilities management, which is our buildings and grounds, um, where we brought in subject matter experts. You know, we brought in a company that had consulted on performance of IT systems for local governments all over the U.S. So they understood IT and government really well. They may not have known Lane County very closely, 
but they understood this. So they come in and learn about Lane County systems, and then they make recommendations based on all the knowledge they've gathered nationally. Uh, and it's been really useful. The model we had been running on is we'll hire a performance auditor who's a generalist. They'll get to know Lane County really well, but they won't maybe be a subject matter expert. So when they're doing an audit, they understand the county system well, but they may not understand the subject of that department that they're auditing or the program as strongly. So I think we're going to move back sort of to a model of this audit committee reports to the board. So it is independent of the county administrator and will contract for audits um, that will come to the board, again, independent of the county administrator. So it's a check and balance somewhat, but really it's about improving the organization. You know, performance auditing is really about improving the organization and also transparency, because they're also going to find, you know, if, if systems aren't working and all that. And there will, you know, those audits will all be public. So um, just like previous audits, we did an audit of our behavioral health um, with our first performance auditor. Um, our second performance auditor managed to get an audit done of re recruitment and retention across the county um, as you know, turnover is costly and, you know, how are we doing as far as, um, you know, minority representation? It was a huge audit, but it was the only one he got done in the year and three months he's been here. Uh, and the cost of that audit was actually more than the three audits I mentioned of um, the IT systems and the fleet and uh, facilities. Those three audits together actually cost less than the recruitment and retention audit because we contracted them out. So you can also, it's also better bang for a buck to do it that way. So I think we're probably going to change uh, directions somewhat and maybe not recruit a performance auditor, but we're, we're sending that kind of back to the audit committee and they're going to make a recommendation to the board. Uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, and we'll we'll move on from there. So that's kind of what was going on in the morning. We also talked a little bit about investment policies at the board, and this is investments of our uh, reserves, which have to be liquid enough for us to use. Because one of the reasons you hold reserves is they're there for emergencies. Uh, some of them are a little bit longer term. We have reserves uh, we're putting in place for the closure of Short Mountain Landfill that we have to keep there by law under our permits with the EPA. We have reserves just for uh, financial liquidity of each fund, like our, our, um, uh, our road fund or our general fund. But all these reserves that we have to kind of in, you know, that we're they're basically savings accounts that we have to be able to draw on if, if needed, add up to about $300 million. So it's a fair amount of money, but there's a lot of Oregon statutes and, and um, laws that control how we can invest those reserves because it needs to be there when we want it. So there's, there's requirements on what we're allowed to um, invest in and, um, and also how long of term, like the maximum term of investment under state law is two years, unless you approve it, get an approval otherwise from the state, 
we actually extended that to three years at Lane County. So we and we we keep a rolling set of investments. So there's always invest you know a certain percentage of our investments actually matures within six months, some certain percent within a year, certain within two years, and all of it has to mature within three years. Um, but where we invest that money, for the most part, the vast majority is either in U.S. Treasuries or um, U.S. government bonds of some kind, like Fannie Mae uh, bonds. That is probably over half of our investment portfolio. Then another maybe uh, 20 to 25 percent is invested in um, a local government investment fund, state runs, which gets a fairly good return for short-term investment, running a little over 2 percent right now, which I defy you to get a um, interest-bearing checking account, which is basically what that fund is for us at a bank with two with over two percent right now. <laughs> it's just not very easy to do. Um, and then some of it is actually invested in uh, local. We actually um, purchased bonds uh, like the Eugene Park bond. Um, they floated um, a couple of years. Couple, about a year ago, we got about a million dollars worth of Eugene's bonds and other local governments uh, across the state. There is a limit when we do local governments. They have to be rated at least um, double A, I believe, um, or in state, it's A, I think. But um, if we do uh, California or Washington, we're allowed to invest in, have to be double A. Um, similar, when we get to corporate bonds, they have to be at least, um, I believe, double A. But uh, that's a small piece of our portfolio. But even within our corporate, um, there was some folks that were a little bit nervous about the fact that we actually own some Johnson & Johnson corporate bonds. No stocks. We do not own stocks in that portfolio. So one of those weird little things that, that commissioners have to do is set the policies around those investments for the county. And I think our current majority would like to throw some what they call um, – uh, environmental social governance uh, factors on that those investments where they're going to start trying to do things like and be invested in any sort of fossil fuel production uh, you know um, they have to all pay living wages or something like that or there may be companies that they ban like Johnson and Johnson or um, we also hold bonds in Wells Fargo, um, you know, which some people, you know, of course, we might have bought that bond before Wells Fargo um, had their scandals. And, and similar, we may have bought the bonds with Johnson Johnson uh, before the recent court decision against them in Oklahoma. Um, so just it, it'll be interesting to see if there are going to be changes in those policies. I don't think there's any necessary because our policies are around making sure it's a safe investment for your money because that's taxpayer money. It's a liquid investment and, and um, has maturity dates we need. So, you know, that's really, really what it's about. Ta it's taxpayer money. Oh, it sounds, was, was that a false alarm there, Robin? Uh, are you sure it's not Monday? Yeah. It feels like it. Well, we're almost out of time for the Bose Nose Show. 
And I know I'm probably boring people talking about investment policies, but it is, you know, just one of those little pieces where we're responsible for $300 million of taxpayer money and making sure it stays safe, gets invested safely, but we get the best yield for it. So it holds the cost, you know, because if we're earning money on that money, that, that can defray the cost of our programs. So before, before you uh, sign off, I, I got a question. I'm sure people really want to know. What's that? You're exchange student. How did you explain Salem? Uh, uh, yeah, at the Marble Nut House. Um, <laughs> hey, they, they have a parliamentary system in Germany. So, so theirs is even crazier than ours. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, so, so explaining government to a German probably is not, you know, it's probably easier to explain our system than it is for him to explain theirs. <laughs> and with that, we will we'll say goodbye from beautiful downtown Eugene, Oregon. Thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. And for Robin and myself, uh, we're back. We'll be back next week here at 4 o'clock on Wednesday, live again from beautiful downtown Elmira, I hope. Thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show, and have a great week. Mm-hmm.